You're listening to the Sunday morning sermons from North Bullet Christian Church, located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. If you have questions or would like to know more information on our church and or ways to connect, grow, and serve with us, email us at info at northbulletcc.org or come and gather with us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. And with that, let's look at today's sermon. Read Ruth 2. We'll look at verses 1 to 7 as our opening reading. God's Word says this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so she set out and went, gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. This is the word of the Lord. When I was uh, growing up, about 11 years old, when when there's a movie that hits the box office and it's just a smash hit, we have a word that we call it. We call it a blockbuster, right? A blockbuster movie. There was a blockbuster movie in the early 90s, uh, 1993, I believe, Jurassic Park came out. You guys remember that movie, Jurassic Park? And man, when I was 11 years old, that was like the coolest movie that, has ev- that was ever made. I still think it's probably the coolest movie that's ever, ever been made. It's amazing. Every time it just kind of pops on the, the TV in the afternoon on a lazy Saturday, and there's, you know, 14 hours of commercials to get through that hour and a half movie, I'm going to sit there and watch it. You know what I'm saying? So I love that movie. It's one of my favorite from my childhood. And there's a scene in that movie that came to mind as I was studying this passage that was over my head at the, at the time. I didn't really understand what they were getting at there. But I recall now as I, as I get older, there's a moment where Dr. Malcolm, Dr. Malcolm is played by the actor Jeff Goldblum. He's always kind of a snarky guy in every, every movie that he's cast in. Uh, and they're on this initial ride through the dinosaur tour, and he's on the ride with Dr. Grant and Dr. Sattler, both kind of the dinosaur experts uh, in, the, in the Ford Explorer as they travel along the, the track looking for dinosaurs, which they hadn't come across any. And uh, Dr. Uh, Malcolm looks into the camera in the, in the car, and, and the guy, the old guy that's in charge of the, the Jurassic Park thing is watching the, the video feed, and he, he looks into the camera, and he goes, now eventually... There will be dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour, right? And, and the, the owner of the theme park kind of is like, he just looks in the camera and is like, I can't stand that guy. <laughs> then the scene shifts. So I'm trying to get your mind at where we're at in the movie. The scene shifts to a conversation in the, in the car between Dr. Sattler, that's, that's the, the, the woman dinosaur expert, and Dr. Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. And Malcolm is cast in the movie as a gifted mathematician who specializes in this, in chaos theory, in chaos theory, and goes on to explain what he calls the butterfly effect. Do you guys know what the butterfly effect is? Have you ever heard of that before? He goes on to explain the butterfly effect to Dr. Sattler. 
He says, quote, chaos deals with predictability in complex systems. He says the shorthand is the butterfly effect. He says a butterfly can flap its wings in peaking, and in Central Park you get rain instead of sunshine. So this small shift of this little insect, right, massively impacts uh, the whole world system. As silly as it may seem, a few fictional scientists waiting in a car for dinosaurs to appear on a dinosaur tour, predictability, chaos, and coincidence are the points that I would like to connect to our present passage, right? Okay, so the question is, is it chaos theory, as Dr. Malcolm would say, or the butterfly effect that brings us to understand this passage and this seemingly chance encounter between Ruth and Boaz? As verse 3 does say, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, the rest, as, as the romantics would, would pine, is history, right? The rest is history. Now, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't believe chaos has anything to do with it, but rather the steady providential hand of the Lord in bringing his will to pass in this particular situation. Ruth, Ruth is a rich story of, of the Lord's providence, or, or what we would call the protective care of God at work within a complex system. Rather than giving too much credit to it, to a butterfly flapping its wings and causing a storm that can change history, from Ruth we understand that the Lord is indeed foreordaining these encounters and interactions for His good and glory. Moreover, they, they convey the depth of the loving kindness of God. That's, gonna, that's a key word for us today. The Lord is loving and kind, and He conveys His loving and kindness through His people. This brings us to our main idea. Our main idea is this. The loving kindness, and we're going to get a little bit of a Hebrew lesson today, and the nine o'clock, it's a little bit easier because it's early in the morning, and they still kind of got that, you know that stuff you wake up with in the back of your throat in the morning? When, when you're pronouncing an H in Hebrew, you kind of got to start it back here in, in the back of your throat and say chesed, okay? So I'm going to give you guys a chance so I'm not just embarrassed by myself pronouncing it like this. And we've got to pronounce things the right way. So on the count of three, all of you are going to get to say that word chesed with me. All right, ready? One, two, three. No, oh, you guys did good. I guess you didn't have your hot tea yet. The loving kindness or chesed of God is conveyed through faithful people. Chesed is the Hebrew word for, it's used in this way for, for kindness, love, loyalty, and really ultimately mercy, right? The mercy of the Lord. Today it's used aims to, to convey, uh, combine these words, the loving kindness of God through faithful people. Toward, toward the end of this passage, we haven't read this far yet into chapter two, uh, but, but towards the, toward the end of this passage, Naomi, who we left off, she was, last week she was our bitter widow, wasn't she? She even changed her name begins to see the mercy of God in the midst of her own kind of chaotic situation, right? Her husband's died. Her two sons have died. She's traveled back. She went to a foreign country, is going back to the homeland. She has Ruth alongside her. It's just kind of a, a chaotic situation. And at the end of this passage in chapter 2, Ruth will, will return with food aplenty and, and a story about an encounter with a loving, kind man named Boaz to which Naomi will respond in, in verse 20, Ruth 2.20 says this, and Naomi, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed, that's Boaz, by the Lord. Now the Lord is the subject here moving forward. Whose kindness, right? 
has said his loving kindness, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. A far cry from Naomi, right? Last week, or we, we call her, in the, in the verse, she, she changed her name to Mara, right? Bitter. I'm bitter. A far cry from this, this bitter widow now. Her disposition last week is now shifting to the kindness, seeing the kindness of God, who she says has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man, that is Boaz now, is a close relative of ours, one of our, here's a, here's a good word, redeemers. One of our redeemers. We understand from this passage that the Lord is working through people, right, through his people, in order to show mercy on whom he will show mercy. Our first point is this, loving kindness acts, right? It works, it serves. That's what I, I want you to think of action, of movement, of doing something. Loving kindness acts. We have to recall uh, Naomi, right? and last week, Naomi insisted that Ruth and Orpah, her other daughter-in-law, go back to Moab. And we know this decision grieved Naomi uh, in the text that says that they wept together. But she likely insisted because having to care for more people than just herself would have only magnified her burden as a widow as she went back to her homeland. And also bringing two foreign Moabite women was probably not the most popular decision uh, where she was heading to. And what happens? Orpah departs, right? She goes back to Moab. But who clings to her? Who clings to, to Naomi? Ruth, right? Ruth clings to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And any worry that, that Naomi may have had that Ruth would just be another mouth to feed is quickly put to rest. Why? Because loving kindness acts. It works. It serves. Ruth is not only, only faithful to her mother-in-law, but puts her faith into action through working to provide food, right? How do people know that we love them, that we're having mercy on them, that we care for them? It's through our actions, right? If my actions don't line up with my words or what I think my interior feelings are, it really doesn't convey mercy or love towards another person. But here Ruth is, is putting into action her faith, her loving kindness towards Naomi. And we have to remember this about Ruth. Like we focused on, on the grief of, of Naomi and the pain and the suffering that she's gone through as her husband has died, her two sons have died, as she's been in a foreign land. We have to remember, though, that Ruth has also experienced much grief and pain. Who has she lost? Her husband, right? She's a widow herself. She's willingly stayed with Naomi, leaving behind her homeland. So she's lost the, the comforts of home, the comforts of life. She's lost a close friend, maybe, in Orpah. Perhaps they were close. They wept when she went back home. And she's also saddled with this woman, Naomi, who's changed her name to Bitter, right? She's probably not very fun to be around or enjoyable to be around. A woman in despair. Things are not looking up for Ruth. And yet she digs in and conveys loving kindness through her work to provide, to go and to, to, to reap a harvest from the leftovers in the field to bring back, uh, to feed her mother-in-law and herself. We'll look at verses 2 to 7 again. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz, I want to pause here now. 
Last week, we focused on names quite a bit, didn't we? Names mean something, especially in Scripture. Boaz's name means pillar, right? Hold, holding up the house, right? Kind of a, a foundational type of name. His name means pillar. Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he, and he said to the reapers, I love this. I just love Boaz's disposition. He, I just see him kind of walking on, and the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you, Boaz. Then Boaz said to his, his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this, right? He takes notice. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reaper, reapers, right? From the leftovers. So she came, this is amazing, she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. I think this guy's impressed. Like, this lady can work, right? She's working hard. Ruth has what we would call a work ethic. Okay, she has a good work ethic. Also, we, we can understand there's a, a little bit of, of history, scriptural history that we got to understand what's going on here. We can understand the loving kindness of God put into action through the reaping and gleaning laws given in, in the book of Leviticus. Okay, so we may be wondering, like, what gives Ruth the right to go into this field and, and to pick food after they've, they've taken the harvest of? Like, she doesn't own this land, does she? Like, what gives her the right to be able uh, to do this? Well, the, the Lord gave her the right to do this. Designed to, that God designed his laws to showcase his people, the Israelites, the Jews, as the Lord's holy. I say holy, meaning set-apart people, right? Meaning they're different from the world. Like, the world probably marks off the boundaries of this field and says, stay out. Even if this food's rotting on the ground, you're not going to get it because why? It's mine. Keep your hands off of it. But God establishes provision within his law because he cares for human persons. And he's setting apart his people as holy, as different than the world. A light to the nations. And this light would shine and showing this is a compassionate thing to do. To, to care for the poor and the, and the sojourner, right? He's showing compassion and provision for all people, and, and it's regardless of economic standing and nationality, by allowing the poor access to the fields after the harvest. Leviticus 19, 9-10 gives this, this command or provision. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, Right? So there, there's a little space left. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Right? Hey, what you drop behind, just leave it. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Man, God is good. Ruth here is the recipient of this provision. The loving kindness of the Lord shown through his law, and his, it's clear that his people are obeying the law here. They didn't, they didn't kick her off the land. They didn't discourage her. They actually stand in awe that, man, this lady is working her tail off. She's working hard. She's just taking a couple short rests. The Lord has shown compassion. Finally, also, looking, looking further into 
the person of Ruth, we see her in, I'm going to give away the ending. I didn't know if you know this, but Ruth ends up getting married to Boaz. Did you guys know that? In, in a foreshadowing of her role as a faithful wife, she conveys the qualities of a godly woman. And the scriptures are clear on what a godly woman looks like is a, almost a whole chapter in Proverbs given to us, Proverbs 31. Just a few verses from that highlight really the qualities that, that Ruth carries herself with. Verses 15 and 27, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Isn't she doing these things? She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. We would not accuse Ruth of being an idle person, right? She's a hard worker. The scriptures commend people who act out and work. The scriptures commend hard workers. They were not to be a lazy or idle people. And it warns of the opposite of, of action and work, which is idleness. Uh, Paul, I think, gets at this in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 10. Paul is a picture of hard work. Not only did he minister, he labored for the church. He was a church planner. He was a missionary. He traveled. He got beat up a lot, and yet he still worked. What did he do? What was his vocation? He was a tent maker, right? He, he made tents, sold them to support his ministry. He was a hard worker. And he, he leaves us with these words. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, right? As hard workers, because we were not idle when we were with you, right? We worked and we labored hard. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat, the scripture commends and encourages hard work. This is important lessons for us in this passage. Keep working, keep acting out, keep serving. And if we think about the character of Ruth, she's in the midst of her grief. She's in an uncertain place. And if any season of life, everybody would understand if she just needed to take a little break and relax for a little bit. But she doesn't, right? She gets up, she dresses herself, she goes to the fields and begins to gather food for both herself and her mother-in-law. And she, she doesn't just gather, gather enough for the day. She gathers in abundance. She works tirelessly. And so we don't, we don't need to give in to the lie that we just need some time away from everything. Now, I want to pause. Rest is necessary. It's why the, the Lord provides Sabbath for his people, that we would rest. Ultimately, we rest in the finished work of Jesus. Rest is an important part of our work week. Okay, but if, but if you're telling yourself, I have to stop doing everything because I'm in grief and suffering and despair. I think you're leaving out a, a key part of the process that the Lord uses to build us back up, to help us to see beyond ourselves, to act and to work, to not be idle, to work and be acting out the loving kindness, right? Uh, Ruth here is serving somebody else who's in despair. It's her mother-in-law. And I believe these are life-giving. And through, these, through this circumstance, God is ordaining that she would meet, right, Boaz. As he comes along and, and finds this foreign woman working in his field. Work and service practically help us in times of grief, despair, and uncertainty. So keep going. That's the idea behind this. Keep working. Keep serving. Don't, don't opt out. 
Jesus, if we look into the New Testament, Jesus shows us as he nears the end of his earthly ministry, his willingness to take action. I believe he, he knew that, that the cross was just a few short days away, right? The, the ultimate suffering and pain and grief that would fall upon him. And yet he was willing to take action in the midst of his own grief in the upper room at the Last Supper when no one else was willing to do the, the humbling work of washing uh, the guests' feet as they came in. Jesus did what, right? He picked up the apron, he tied it on, he got the towel, he pulled out the basin, filled it up with water, and he came to each and every one of his disciples. And what did he do? He kneeled down and washed their feet. He served them. Acting and working out loving kindness towards his followers. Even the one, I believe, who would betray him washed his feet. This act of Jesus reminds us also of the great work that he would bring to pass as he was fastened to the cross by nails on his hands and feet and gave up his life to ultimately wash away our sins just as he had washed the disciples' feet in the upper room. The mercy and loving kindness of the Lord takes action to save his people from his wrath against sin. And lastly, in the action and work of Ruth, the Lord has ordained, as I said earlier, for her to meet Boaz, right? The pillar. She happens, as the text says, upon his field. And here we meet a man who conveys godliness in the first words he utters. Verse four, right? And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to, to the reapers, the Lord be with you, right? I can just, I don't know why, I just feel like he's smiling right there when he's walking into the field. The Lord be with you, right? Work's being done. The harvest is being carried out. Like, who's this foreign woman over here? You ever, are you ever around people like that? Like you just walk in and, and they greet you and like, hey, how you doing? How's life going? And they just lift your spirit. That's what I picture Boaz like, Lord be with you. How can you frown when somebody says that to you? The Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Which brings us to our, our second point. We see now, we learn lessons from Boaz. Loving kindness does this. It pursues protects and provides. It pursues, protects, and provides. Grief still sits in the background as we, as we move through the story. This widow lady is faced with the difficult task of providing for both herself and her mother-in-law through the leftovers. Basically, that's what she's sifting through, right? The leftovers. But the Lord shows his loving kindness in a man named Boaz, and we can tell from, from the moment we meet this man that he's godly. He greets his workers with a blessing. And he, we know he's godly because he immediately takes notice of Ruth. It would have been very easy for him. If this, this lady's working and she's probably kneeling down on her knees, picking up this food from the ground, just, just look right over the top of her. But he notices her. <laughs> He then pursues, protects, and provides for her. Let's look at verses 8 to 16. Then Boaz said to Ruth. Now, I want to pause here for a second. I, again, I want to emphasize this. It, it's remarkable that he is even acknowledging this woman and a foreign woman. Again, in a, in a culture that's patriarchal, you know, men are elevated in, in this particular culture, that he would acknowledge 
a woman and let alone someone from Moab. We already established the history last week between Moab and Israel. And she's a woman, no less, that's picking up the scraps from his field. Then Boaz said to Ruth, right? Here we see that that first point, he pursues her. He's talking to her. He acknowledges this, that she's a human being, that she's a person. He says, now, now, now listen, my daughter, look at that, the term he uses there, right? He doesn't just say, you foreigner. You person picking up the scraps in my yard, like, who are you? Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that, that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Right? This is dangerous business. This woman all by herself working in the field, she's opened herself up for, for the potential of attack or assault. There's no one there to protect her, but who's there keeping an eye? Boaz. He pursues and he protects, right? And then he goes on, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This is beautiful. We see Boaz providing for her. Now, if I think back to Leviticus, I didn't see anything in there about providing a drink for the poor or the sojourner in your field, just the food, right? And yet Boaz is, is opening this invitation to this foreign widow who is reaping from the leftovers, digging through the scraps. What's her response? Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, notice this, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Sister, you're invited in. You're part of the family. I've heard about you. I've heard about your faithfulness. I've heard about your action. I've heard that you've left everything that you know behind to come here to take care of your mother-in-law. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Then it goes on, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine, right? Come close. So she sat beside the reapers and, and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied, right? She ate in abundance. That sounds like something somebody would say a little bit later. And she had some leftover. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not, you know, hey, guys, drop a little bit on the ground as you're moving along, please. The, the old saying, right, the tide is turning, isn't it? Things are changing. A chaotic life is beginning to see the hope and mercy of the Lord 
unfold right before her eyes. Boaz shows the loving kindness of God toward, toward Ruth, a foreign widow, through his pursuit, protection, and provision. He's, he's taking notice of her and speaks to her, right? Not as some poor person digging through the scraps, but he speaks to her as a human person, as a human being, as someone created in the image of God. Not a poor foreign widow. She has nothing to bring to the table, nothing to advance Boaz's wealth or life, right? He has nothing to gain from this interaction. There's no advantage to him personally by engaging with, with this woman, and yet he pursues, protects, and provides for her. And if, if Ruth is beginning to show us in her action and working the qualities of a Proverbs 31 woman, Boaz is, is showing us the positive qualities of a faithful, God-honoring, and merciful man. A God-honoring man does this. He pursues, right? And I'll say this in a respectful way. He pursues in a respectful way. He protects the woman in need and those entrusted to his care. He's a protector. And he provides willingly for them. Boaz reminds me of Paul's declaration to the Corinthian men in the, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. He says, be watchful, right? Pausing there. Boaz takes notice, right? He's watchful. He doesn't look over the top of this woman. He sees her. Stand firm in the faith, right? Boaz here willingly opens his field and more to, to Ruth. He is standing firm in, in, the, in the commands from Leviticus. And even more, he's saying, come drink. Come to my table, eat, be full, be well-fed, take some leftovers. And tomorrow when you go out and you, and you are picking through the field again, I'm going to tell my workers to leave some extra behind for you. He's standing firm in, in the teachings of the scripture, in the faith. It goes on. It says, act like men, be strong, right? Boaz, pillar, he is Vowing to protect her. Stay close to my young women. Men, don't lay a hand on her. Let all that you do be done in love. He does this all with a tender and loving kind heart toward Ruth. Men, there, there's so much to be said here. Boaz is an example for each of us. A, a real life example of, of what we would call biblical manhood with his greatest attribute being his mercy and love toward Ruth. But even more important, he, he's a foreshadowing of, of the great Redeemer Jesus. God acted in, in human history to send his son to carry out the work of redeeming for himself a people. The Lord acted through the, the earthly perfect life of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus, even unto death on the cross, which cleanses us from our sin, and the resurrection of Jesus, which showcases the victory of God over sin and death. The Lord Jesus is the better pursuer, protector, and provider. Most importantly, he has provided a way of salvation, similar to what Boaz will carry out in the coming chapters as he redeems Ruth from a life of eating the leftovers to a position at his own right hand in his household. That's what Boaz is going to do. That's what Jesus has done for us. He has redeemed us from the scrap heap and positioned us in his throne room with him. 
And he has accomplished this because of his great love, of his, his mercy. Boaz, the, the king in a sense of his field, kneels down to where Ruth is, takes her up, protecting and providing for her. King Jesus left his position in the heavens and descended to earth to take us up to the throne room with him. Lavishing upon us a great eternal heavenly inheritance in his kingdom. So that we know that John 3, 16 and 17, what it says there, we know it to be true. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He has positioned us with him in the heavenly places. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? If we think of Boaz, he could have said, woman, get out of here. Get away from my field. Go back to Moab. But he invited her in to the table. He did not condemn her. Jesus had every right to come into the world and condemn each and every one of us for our sin. The Bible tells us that while we were enemies of God, he sent Jesus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Thank you, God. And how do, how do we respond to love? We learn from Naomi now, point number three. Loving kindness praises, it blesses, it praises the Lord. We respond by acknowledging and praising the one who has provided love and mercy. This is, this is, people who have gone through some junk in life, they get this. I, I, I spent part of my childhood in, in a church that, that centered a lot of ministry on recovery ministry. You guys know what recovery ministry is? It's dealing with, with folks who have uh, addiction problems. They've lived life. They've had struggle, right? Maybe they struggle with alcohol or drug addiction. They know how low they were. They've confessed their sin. They've, they've vowed to recover from that addiction that they've had and to live a life honoring to God. And I can tell you what, that church, when I, when I walk into that church and those folks are praising Jesus, it's just a little bit different. It's got a little bit something behind it. Because when, when we've been forgiven of a lot, we're going to praise God. And if we, if we only knew the depth of our own sin, we would praise God in a similar manner every opportunity that we had. You see, this, this story that we have this morning isn't necessarily a story about Boaz or Ruth or Naomi. It's a story about God. Our God, who doesn't reign over a system of chaos, but rather brings order in the midst of chaos by his gentle and providential hand. He shows loving kindness to each of us, and we should rightly respond to him with a word of praise and blessing. Let's, let's look at verses 17 to 23. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah. I don't know about you, but I'm not measuring my spaghetti noodles in ephahs. I don't know what that is. 
As far as I can tell, it's, it's a decent amount of food. It's about a, probably over a week's worth of food that she's bringing back home. That's a lot, right? When you don't have anything. I got about a week and a half worth of food. So she has an, about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, right? It must have been a lot because she's surprised. She also, in addition to this, brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied, right? Naomi now receives uh, food in abundance. Jesus blesses us abundantly, doesn't he? And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he, right, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord. Now I want to bring some clarity. The subject I believe here now has shifted to the Lord to which Naomi is now saying, whose kindness, right, the Lord's kindness, has not forsaken the living or the dead, right? She's blessing and acknowledging and praising God. He has not forgotten us. The Lord has turned her mourning into dancing again. That, That early 90s praise song, right? You turn my mourning into dancing again. You guys remember that one? No. Okay. It was only in California. I'm getting tired and it's ready for lunch. So go back. I want to say, uh, Hosanna music, 1992. Check it out. Listen to it this afternoon. It's going to be, they got like the brass playing and everything on that. The bass guy, you know, he's going off. The Lord has turned her mourning into dancing again. Reading on in verse 20, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Right? We're seeing, you know, throw out the chaos theory, throw out the butterfly effect. We're seeing the providence of God at work right before our very eyes. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted, right? So Naomi knows, hey, he's keeping you safe. He's protecting you. So she kept close to the young woman, women of Boaz. She obeyed, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The tears have not dried on the face of Naomi. The despair runs deep. Uncertainty still has her stomach tied in knots. You ever been in that? Where you just got something hanging out there and your stomach's just all tied up in knots. You can barely eat. But a small victory, a small glimpse of hope. She acknowledges the, the loving kindness, right? The, the chesed of God, the mercy And what does she do? She praises it. She acknowledges that God is in this. She praises him for the small glints of hope. 
may we respond. This is our response. May we respond in the same way. May we give honor, blessing, and praise to the one who provides every good thing. The Lord provides every good thing for us. May we sing as David did in Psalm 34, 1-3 when he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. You notice that? Continually. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Some of you may be in the midst of a storm or, or what you think is chaos right now. Grief, pain, and sorrow grip your soul. Seek out in this moment, search and find the loving kindness of the Lord. See it in the people he has provided as, as displays of mercy in your life. Naomi has seen Ruth as, a, as a, a place of mercy, right? She has brought food. She's seeing a glimpse of hope that there's someone who could redeem our family, who can save us from our plight, our situation, from our grief and despair in Boaz. She sees it as the Lord. She's seeing it as those who, who act out their faith in serving and working. Those who act out their godliness in pursuit, protection, and, and provision toward you. And remember this. Remember the great love of Jesus. The Bible tells us that he loved us first. And he laid down his life for us. He has taken action to reconcile us to himself, to, to fix a broken relationship. He has pursued us and Jesus continues to pursue us. He protects us from the schemes of the enemy and he provides us, he provides for us a great inheritance. Paul hits on this in the beginning part of Ephesians. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We have been raised with him from, from our sin into new life and he has seated us in the heavenly places, the scriptures say. So that our song can rise up. Again, as I was reading this, another song came to mind, that old Casting Crowns tune. I don't know if you guys remember this one. Maybe you're familiar with this song, okay? They sing, so I'll praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands, for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I cry, you hold in your hands. You never left my side. Though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. Storm. Amen? Amen. Amen.